You know, the more I dig into this amazing sermon, this Sermon on the Mount, only three chapters long, shorter than any of my sermons, certainly, but I'm taken with how much depth there is. It's why you can keep kind of coming back and, and seeing new things. Uh, can be challenged in different ways. It's, it's why the Bible is not like any other book. It's the, the living word of God, this supernatural book that has the power to change lives and, and transform hearts. And uh, I probably would not have preached this the same way uh, two years ago. I, I might not preach it the same way two years from now. And uh, as you mature in Christ, you, you, you mine the depths of, of insight. So we come to this passage today. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And, and maybe you've heard it preached a certain way in the past. But it was this week really that I, I feel like I had some insight um, into what's really being said here. I'm not su- suggesting any special word of knowledge, but maybe just a, a deeper insight for me. And uh, it, it, it might have even just come in this last week as I studied the text. I, I'm not sure y'all are going to like my interpretation, but stick with me. Because I'm stuck with the question here of what kind of asking does Jesus have in mind here? Are we, are we to believe that the sky's the limit? Like um, we can just ask for anything and we're guaranteed to receive it? Like a, a Tesla, a promotion, um, the winning lottery number tickets, winning lottery, see, I don't even, uh, 10,000 more followers on Instagram, three more wishes, I, I don't know. It would be an easy verse to use if you're like a TV preacher preaching some kind of prosperity gospel and uh, where God just kind of wants you to be rich. And you can use this verse to appeal to people's, you know, ambition and greed. But we're not going to cherry pick verses, okay? We're not going to pick them to sort of fit our agenda as much as I would like those winning lottery numbers. And I promise I would tithe on it. Um, but here we have to be wise Bible interpreters. You know, the first theology class I, I ever took when I was just sort of dabbling into um, this idea of ministry is a class called hermeneutics. This is the, the art and the science of, of good biblical interpretation. There's some good rules for interpreting. A lot of these are simple rules that actually could be applied as you interpret other uh, written works. First, the first thing is the, the idea of exegesis. You know, this is where you as the reader, the interpreter, uh, are trying to exegete the passage. In other words, you're trying to draw out the intended meaning from the original author speaker, okay? What they originally would have meant. You know, what a lot of preachers do, what I probably have done, is something called eisegesis. It's, it's literally the opposite of exegesis. It's where you're not drawing out the original meaning. You're kind of inflicting onto the text your meaning, your agenda, right? 
there's this rule of uh, the text can never mean what the text never meant. Uh, in other words, you know, you can cherry pick verses out of context all day long, but if the text didn't mean it, that's not what the text meant. You know, I suppose I could take Ezekiel 4.15, where it says, Then he said to me, See, I will let you have cow's dung instead of human dung on which you may prepare your bread. And I could do a whole sermon on why you should make your sandwiches on manure. But that would not be good exegesis, good biblical interpretation. Another rule is that Scripture interprets Scripture. So, in other words, you you need to look at the surrounding verses. You need to look at the, the overarching themes of that particular book of the Bible, the chapter itself, the, the overall truths of the Bible. So, so that keeps you honest from, from, you know, having one verse out of context kind of steer you wrong or, or have God contradicting himself. And so here's what I see as the context of this verse, ask, seek, knock, uh, the surrounding verses. In fact, the whole thrust of the Sermon on the Mount what has Jesus been talking about up to this point? Where has he been, you know, taking us in this message so far? It's about what a true follower of Christ looks like. What a Holy Spirit-filled Christian looks like. And at this point in the sermon, we should be hungry for this type of life and character that Jesus has been describing. We should be craving more of God, you know, craving greater intimacy with him. Our prayer to this point in our series might be, oh God, uh, I want to experience all that Jesus is describing here. Uh, If the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount has produced in you a hunger uh, it's because that's its intended purpose, that it would whet your spiritual appetite, as it were. And so Jesus says, if, if this is you, if this is the kind of spiritual life that you long for, then ask and it will be given to you. That's the context. Asking for more of God. Asking for more of the God life. You know, the word ask is found like 71 times in the New Testament alone. How cool is it that God explicitly invites us to ask him? Like um, the psalmist says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Uh, Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you and tell you the great and unsearchable things. I, I, I call that the God's telephone number, Jeremiah 33, 3. Ask of me and I will tell you. Call me. It's as though God's saying, uh, I won't act until you ask, but I so want you to ask. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer, in petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Jesus makes such a gracious invitation, but uh, it also comes with this guarantee that we will receive. Ask and it will be 
given to you. So who takes the initiative here? Well, God does, and we do. Clear as mud, right? The Lord takes the initiative by calling us to this gracious invitation. Call on me. Ask of me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face. And, and you know that verse, Second Chronicles. God takes the initiative by asking us. And yes, we take the initiative Prayer is, is, is something we do in response to his invitation. In fact, Paul says for us not to give up on our initiative when we feel, you know, less than motivated. It's sort of like when he tells Timothy uh, to, to preach the word in season and out of season. You know, what is it like to pray in season? I kind of think it's like when there's an ease in your prayer. It's, it's as though God has come down and and your prayers just soar to him. You lose track of time. It feels enjoyable. Um, out of season, we know what that's like too, don't we? If there's a dryness, feeling like you're, you're not being heard, you don't have the words, but you pray anyways. In other words, you, you don't wait until you feel led. Uh, some of you may not speak fluent Christianese. So if you haven't been raised in the church your whole life, you may not know what feeling led is. This is where, you know, it's, it's, there's sort of a supernatural pulling towards doing something. You feel like there's a, this tug of God to go into ministry or to talk to a stranger. But it can become a bit of a cliche. Like, unfortunately, it's a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. How come you didn't stop to help that person? I didn't feel led. Um, how come you, you, you didn't offer to serve at the church? Oh, I, uh, I didn't feel led. Let me ask you this. Uh, do you feel led to go to work each day? Do you feel led to get up when that alarm bell rings? Do you feel led to brush your teeth? Um, do you feel led to fill out that tax form like we had to do recently? Actually, I gave all my stuff to Beth Dara and said, Can, please make sense of this. She's amazing. You do these things um, because you do them, because you're obedient. Speaking personally, I think so much of what I do, preaching and preparing and praying and tithing and worshiping and witnessing, it's, it's obedience. Uh, I don't wait until I feel led. And God always, in one way or another, blesses me, uh, blesses the faithfulness of it. Because as much as ask is an invitation, it's also an imperative uh, it, it's, it's God's command, isn't it? And, and sometimes we refuse the command because asking feels so humbling. Asking means you don't have control. Asking is, kind of, is going on bended knee uh, to the one who actually has the power to act. And nothing is promised until... You ask. 
wait, doesn't God already know what we need? And he still wants us to ask. I don't, I don't profess even to understand it fully, but like it or not, it's the way it is. He's waiting to be asked. You know, it's like the leper who, who went on bended knee to Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, you know, you can heal me. There was no sort of like snapping of his fingers, no entitlement. One of the great sins of our generation, I think. The leper was already a beggar. Uh, he knew what it meant to, to have to rely on the mercy of others. In fact, you know, the first thing we are to ask when we come boldly before the throne of grace, it says in Hebrews 4.16, we're to boldly come and ask for mercy. You don't, you don't command God to give you mercy. You, you ask humbly on bended knee. Now, um, I imagine we have all asked God for things that may not be in his perfect will. But asking in his will is one sure way that your prayer will get answered. Praying the Lord's Prayer, we know, is certainly a time where we are praying God's will. And here, too, when you are asking for more of God's presence, more of his anointing, um, more understanding of his ways, you can absolutely be assured that you are praying in his will. You ask for more of the Holy Spirit, you can be sure it's in God's will. James says, uh, come near to God and he will come near to you. And you are invited to ask for the most noble, the most glorious gift you can possibly want from your heavenly father. You are asking him to give you what he actually wants for you, which is more of him. More of him. Sadly, I think there have been those who kind of lazily pray, oh Lord, I ask to be closer to you, and then stop. Oh, I asked and nothing happened. You know, it's not like they're doing God a favor, but God is looking for those who want him so much that they not only ask, but they seek. They seek. Seeking actually kind of tests our sincerity, doesn't it? For those who say, you know, I prayed and nothing happened, I might respond to them, well, well, how important is knowing God to you? How interested are you in experiencing this spirit-filled life that Jesus is describing in this sermon? You know, seeking is a relentless pursuing of God. I think I said this quote a while ago, but, but I love this A.W. Tozer who said, we can have as much of God as we want. And a lot can happen on this journey of pursuing God. But as you know, as some of you know all too well, often it involves waiting, doesn't it? Waiting. But waiting doesn't mean stopping. While we wait, we can worship. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. While we wait, we can know that he's actually working on our behalf, Isaiah 64 says. While we wait, we actually get to know his ways. 
psalmist says that, that he, he says, teach me your ways, O Lord. Uh, guide all my paths. Sometimes we get to know his ways through the waiting. Sometimes we actually change in the waiting. Our desires become more sanctified. God doesn't change, but we do. And that's a good thing. So whether it's, it's we're learning more of God's ways, whether we learn to forgive, forgive more deeply, discovering what, what grieves the Holy Spirit, it's, it's a frequent way that God answers prayers. He'll bring about change in your life and your character so that when you look back, you'll say, you know, I'm not the same person that I was. And people will notice it too. They will. It's not a good sign when you never change. I know, I know someone who boasted, I haven't changed in 30 years. That's not something to celebrate. Uh, I'd, I'd rather identify with this quote from, from John Newton, that John Newton, amazing grace, John Newton. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be, but praise God. I'm not what I used to be. And, and so you'll forgive me if this sounds a bit like a, a, a Christian cliche, but I have found it to be true the longer the wait, the more glorious the finding. So, so if you asked once, good. Ask again. Ask a third time. Ask a hundred times. The matter of obedience in waiting is so, is so crucial. Wait for the Lord, Psalm 27 says. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, they, the, those that wait upon the Lord, they'll renew their strength. Don't run ahead of God. Don't lag behind him and, and don't give up. He is never too late. He's never too early. He's always right on time. And sometimes the asking becomes seeking. Seeking, you could say, is our plan B although it might have been God's plan A all, all along, if you had received immediately after you asked, um, maybe you wouldn't have bothered to seek. And there's something in the seeking, the, the relentless pursuit that, that may end up just giving you what you were asking for. More of God, more intimacy, we seek because there's a, there's a reason for every unanswered prayer. Whenever God apparently says no, it's because I believe he's got a better idea than our idea. He's got a better dream than our dream. You know, Jesus said no to the healing of Lazarus, or at least it, it seemed to. And then he shows up four days after the funeral to unveil the true reason for the delay. Raising Lazarus from the dead gave God more glory uh, than keeping him from dying. There's a reason for our hope deferred, isn't there? You know, when I, when I think of seeking, I also think of, of um, trying to find something that had been lost. And I, I wonder if there's someone watching this, listening to this right now, who has lost something that they once had experienced your joy, your sense of God's presence, 
Do you want it back? I, I think this might be a word for you today. Have you noticed in Scripture, too, that uh, the songs that we sing, there's a lot of talk in church about seeking the face of God. Like, like Darrow narrow, uh, David narrowed his desires down to, to this in Psalm 27. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And we, we sing this Levitical blessing. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you. I, I wonder if we could make the distinction kind of this way. That we would primarily seek his face, not his hand. I heard somebody kind of put it this way. You know, to seek his hand is to kind of appeal to our personal needs, right? We're asking God to do something for us, to fix something. But to seek his face it just means you want to know him, right? You don't want anything from him except to experience more of him. And then, and then Matthew 7, 7 this has been called by some uh, a verse of ascending scale of urgency, right? We ask, we seek, and then we knock, right? It's getting more urgent as it goes along. You go from plan A, asking, plan B, seeking, then plan C, we're getting desperate. Revelation 3.20, we know that Jesus is the one who's knocking, we believe that kind of means he's, he's knocking on the door of our heart, asking if he can come in. But here in Matthew 7, 7, we're the ones doing the knocking. Uh, why does one knock? I, simple. I, it's to be heard. Maybe, maybe to wake somebody up. Sometimes you might feel even like God is asleep. I know the psalmist felt that way different times. Psalm 44, awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. But here's the truth. Psalm 121, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Well, so what does it mean, spiritually speaking, to, to knock, to get God's attention, so to speak? You know, uh, I, I think of, of where God said to Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer. And I have seen your tears. I wonder if sometimes tears get God's attention. I believe they do. Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. And I'm not saying that tears are required or that you should conjure up some fakey fake emotional response. But I know in my house, um, the tears of my children get my attention because I love them. How about this? In, in Isaiah, uh, the Israelites were frustrated because it seemed like they weren't getting God's attention. And so the prophet tells them to try a different kind of knocking. He says, loose the chains of the injustice, to, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, to share your food with the hungry. This is the kind of fast that will get 
God's attention. You know, we talked about fasting a few weeks ago. Maybe it's a way of knocking. Um, but we knock and we keep, we keep knocking because we, we want the assurance that we're being heard. Getting God's attention is worth all the effort it took because he will come. The answer will be worth it. Look at this. Verse 8. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is a verse with a promise. God's very integrity is at stake here. He's made a promise. You will find what you are seeking. If indeed, it's God that you were seeking. I think it's an encouragement to just to not give up in our praying. Those who keep asking, those who keep seeking, keep knocking are the ones who will be rewarded. I'll remind us again, the, the asking, the seeking, the knocking, I believe it relates to wanting more of God. And I think this afternoon of people like M- Melissa, I was going to say Tim Grin, Izenga, and of Linda Hunt. Uh, Linda Hunt. Linda Hearn. Linda Hunt is a famous Oscar-winning actress. Linda Hearn. People who have been asking, seeking, knocking for healing in their life. And there's all kinds of verses about that. I just think that this verse is about asking for more of God. God is not against praying for our healing, believe me. He's not against praying for our even our blessing. The Bible's chock full of encouragements for, the, for that. But I, I think in the context of Matthew 7, verse 7, it's, it's Jesus has been teaching the kingdom life. So for those of you who have been tracking with this series and you're thinking, oh man, if only I could be like that. If only I could bless my enemies. If only I could overcome worry. Jesus says, ask for it. Ask me for it. And Jesus is telling us that this life that he describes, this Sermon on the Mount life is possible. What if Jesus was serious? He's serious. This is attainable. Being merciful is possible. Rejoicing in persecution, it's possible. Blessing your enemy, it's possible. Not committing adultery in your heart, it's possible. Not worrying. It's possible. Living a life, not pointing the finger at others is is possible. And if you and I desire to live this way, Jesus simply says, ask me for it. For everyone who asks receives. He wouldn't say this if you're praying to be a millionaire, but because you are praying for the righteousness that Jesus desires for his people then everyone who asks receives. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, 1 John 5, 14. Well, uh, now Jesus brings in this great illustration. Uh, Read along with me, Matthew 7, 9 to 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. 
If you then, though you are evil, ouch, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, so just quickly recap. We've seen four things so far. God wants us to pray, number one, duh. By the way, the devil doesn't want us to pray. I think that alone should inspire us to pray. Oh, the devil doesn't want me to do something? I'll be sure to do that thing. It's why the devil, I I think, creates so many obstacles to our praying, so many disturbances to keep us from getting around to prayer. Number two, God answers prayer, but not until we ask. Number three, sometimes the answer to that prayer is delayed, okay? It's, It's why we also need to seek and knock. And number four, This verse, I believe, is about praying for more of God, the kingdom life, the the Holy Spirit filling, the face of Jesus, the face of God, not material things uh, that Jesus primarily had in mind. Nothing wrong with praying for physical material needs, but the immediate context of this passage, I believe, is about regarding our spiritual need. And and now Jesus kind of answers this question, all right, just who is this God that sometimes delays prayers or seems to even withhold answers to prayers in a manner of which he decides. Like, who is this God that likes to control the results of our praying? What is, what is he like? And Jesus answers, he's a good, good father. He's a good, good father. More than that, actually, he's the perfect father. A totally just God. He does everything right. He makes no mistakes. He is not demanding. Uh, He he does not want some impossible perfection from us. He is there when we need him. He is never cruel. And so Jesus uses this illustration. He's like, you know, what if your kid asks for bread. Mmm. Mmm. Vince's. Uh, good bakery. And you go, yeah, sure thing, dummy. Uh, here you go. That's, that's a bad father. Or what if your kid asks uh, for like an egg? Uh, is that what it was? What did he ask for? And gets a snake instead? Fish. Ask for a fish. Some passages he asks for an egg and and um, I like doing this with the kids from uh, our Christian school upstairs, NMCLA. Um, I'll say, hey, uh, the, you know, sometimes they'll be hovering around my office. Hey, do you want a, a candy? And uh, they'll go, yeah, I'd love a candy. I said, okay, well, just, it's in this box. And I go, oh, okay, cool. Ah! It makes me laugh. I'm, I'm a good, good father, but sometimes I'm a bad, bad pastor. And uh, kids are fun to scare. But that's what a bad dad would do. Yeah, you want a fish? Sure. Spiders. You like that, dummy? Um, and, and Jesus is describing a God who doesn't do that. So what are the good gifts that this good father wants to give to us. This is where I know 
or I'm convinced that this whole passage was about something more than just asking for a Tesla, but actually asking for more of God. Because there's a much shorter version of the Sermon on the Mount. We call it a parallel passage. It's found in, in Luke. And this particular verse, Luke eleven thirteen, And here it substitutes good gifts with the Holy Spirit. God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. So that's the context. This is about desiring more of God, more of the Spirit, more of the fruits of the Spirit, more of the gifts of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit are the good gifts He wants to give to us. Do you desire the spiritual gifts? You know, if we kind of have a bit of a uh, take it or leave it attitude, it might suggest maybe we don't desire for more of God. The purpose of the spiritual gifts is for edification, the edification of the body of Christ, which is the church. It means that we we are all better off if you flourish in the gifts of the spirit. So we should be asking, seeking, knocking for, for the good gifts, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing. A miraculous powers, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, the gift of helps and administration and teaching and encouraging and generosity and leadership and mercy. The, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of himself. And listen, all Christians have the Holy Spirit in some measure. Okay? Like... It comes at your conversion, being born of the Spirit, John 3, verse 3 says. We cannot come to Christ unless we are drawn by the Spirit, John 6, 44 says. We cannot even say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says. And Paul affirms that all Christians have the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. And yet, not all have received the full measure of the Holy Spirit. So, so the Sermon on the Mount hopefully creates in us a, a hunger for more of God. And this hunger will be met by our receiving of the Holy Spirit. Now, more of the Holy Spirit does not mean you are more saved, okay? But more of the Holy Spirit, I, I just believe, will give you a taste of heaven here on earth. So I hope you understand what a, good, what a good gift this is. Like, I was trying to think of an illustration that would, uh, that would resonate. Uh, let me put it this way. You're, you're a kid, and you think you know what good gifts are. You know, whatever is bright and shiny and requires batteries, whatever toy is advertised between segments of your favorite cartoon, And then your grandpa comes along for your fourth birthday and he gives you an RESP, CT, find out what it means to me. No, RESP, Registered Education Savings Plan. Is that right? Yeah. By the time it matures when you're 18, it's going to be worth $15,000 for college or university. Now you look at this slip of paper and you don't see where it turns on or where, you know, where the batteries go. 
and you almost want to cry because it's such a horrible gift. Your grandpa doesn't know how to give good gifts, and so you go back to your dollar store, what's it, you know, or start playing with the wrapping paper. You're a dumb kid. You don't know good gifts. This is a super important point. And I, I remember this so clearly from one of my dad's sermons growing up. You know, and dad, if you're watching today, and I'll bet you are, I'm, I'm outright stealing this from you. I missed a few sermons growing up from playing hangman on the back of uh, tithing envelopes. But I remember this. Um, sometimes we wouldn't know a good gift if it smacked us upside the head. That, my words, not dad's. We ask God for bread, and it feels like a stone. And we go, uh, this, isn't, this isn't bread, God. And God says, trust me, this is a good gift. And we're dumb kids without the maturity or the wisdom or the eternal perspective. And we say, uh, <laughs> No, God, I'm pretty sure I know what a good gift looks like. And this is not bread. This is a stone. And God says, um, you don't get it now, but this is bread. This is a good gift. I, I wonder how many of you have received something in life that felt like a stone, that felt like a snake, only to discover years later, after a bit of growing up, a bit of humbling, a bit of maturing, a bit of conforming to the image of Christ, that you realize in retrospect, oh, that was such a gift. That was bread. I thought it was a stone, but my good, good father knows what good gifts are. He wants to give you good gifts today. Let me pray. Lord, I think of what the, the great J.I. Packer used to say. Um, to seek pleasure, comfort, and happiness is a guarantee that you will miss them all. It's so true, Lord. Uh, those are actually byproducts that come from focusing our attention and our hope on you, on something greater. So, Lord, may we seek your face and keep seeking. May we ask to experience more of you and keep asking. May we knock uh, so that we would get the good gifts of your spirit and your presence and your ways. And may we keep knocking knowing that you are, you're not annoyed, far from it. You delight in it. So boldly, we approach your throne, Lord, because you, you actually want us to boldly approach you. We seek your mercy today, Lord. We seek your gifts and your grace. In Jesus' name. We used to sing this song uh, growing up. More love, more power, more of you in my life. Kind of thought, gee, that sounds like a very selfish song. More love, more power. And it's, it's actually what Jesus invites us to do. 
to ask him for more of his love, more of his Holy Spirit power, more of God in our life. So ask him, ask him this week. You sure are love people. I, I hope you don't get sick of me saying that and I hope you believe it. It's so good to be able to participate even in a limited way in church. But um, more than just watching church, more than just writing comments about church, I- I'm going to commission you now. Go be the church. God bless you.